Welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. This podcast is by public service leaders for current and future public service leaders. If you would like to hear what the ministers and politicians are thinking, then there are numerous other podcasts where you can tune in to find out what their latest thoughts are. This podcast is about the inspirational people designing and leading frontline public services. This is about the people who do the real work. On the podcast, you'll hear from leaders from councils, from within the NHS and other public services, and also those involved in policy development. I particularly try and find people who have interesting stories to tell and have achieved really difficult things in challenging circumstances and who have learned lessons along the way and uh, who are, are keen to share those lessons with others. Because as I think as we all know, public service leaders are not prone to shout about their achievements, but um, it is really important, especially now with so much pressure on public services, that those leaders do share the lessons that they have learned about what works and what indeed does not work. So I hope you enjoy it and don't forget to subscribe on the website or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. And indeed, you might want to catch up on some of the previous episodes. This week's episode is with Damien Allen. Damien is the Chief Executive of Doncaster Council. The main topic for this conversation is devolution. So Doncaster was part of a successful devolution bid that ended up in the creation of the South Yorkshire Mayoral Combined Authority. So we spend quite a bit of time talking about how that devolution came about. And as you will hear, Damien is a very sophisticated systems thinker, which you really have to be when you're considering a combined authority area or a region rather than just your own council. And this theme of systems thinking continues as we discuss the creation of the integrated care system, which will involve the council working ever more closely with the NHS. We then talk about Doncaster itself. Doncaster has a very impressive corporate plan which was produced earlier this year and is at least partly in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. So Damien picks out a couple of key elements of that plan, particularly around environment and skills, and describes some of the practicalities of how those elements of the plan will be implemented. So let's hear from Damien. Damien, welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. I'm really grateful to you for taking the time for this conversation. Um, I wonder if I could start by asking you to just say a little bit about who you are and where you came from. Happy to do that, and thank you for inviting me, uh, Andrew. Uh, yes, I'm Doncaster Council's Chief Executive, and prior to that, uh, uh, I was the statutory uh, Chief Officer for both Children's and Adults, the DCS uh, and the DAS. Uh, and before that, uh, I worked in a number of local authorities, but my original background was that uh, I was a trained teacher and uh, uh, taught in virtually every phase of education. Wow! And where was that? Where did you Where did you start your professional life? Uh, in Cheshire, uh, in Cheshire local authority, uh, in 1986. So it's going back some. Could you tell us a little bit more about your personal background then? Well, yeah. I mean, actually, I'll probably reference uh, what it says on my Twitter profile. Uh, you know, it says that I'm a proud Yorkshireman with a twist of Irish, and that I think gives you something of my sort of heritage. But it also says I'm a bit of a systems thinker 
uh, in action. And, and that's quite an important element of my leadership perspective. The other one, I think, is the, the lived experience. And uh, I don't often reveal these things, but actually last October, uh, when there was the preschool meals uh, fiasco, uh, government fiasco and the great campaign by Marcus Rashford, uh, it sort of, I think, stimulated some resonant uh, and distant memories of my own childhood experience. Um, and I think, you know, like many were, you know, were shaped but not defined by our childhood. And for me, uh, being made homeless at 11 with my five siblings uh, was quite a defining moment. And we were the beneficiaries of free school meals, uniform grants, uh, grants to go on school trips, etc. Uh, and the support from the state at that point was a critical element in my own development without it uh, we wouldn't have I wouldn't be where I am now um, so it was a great driver I think in terms of getting the local authority at that time uh, to actually contribute to the preschool meals for children during the October half term and obviously being a director of children's services as I mentioned it's really important I think and one of the things that's always inspired me is Nelson Mandela's uh, quote which uh, really does uh, resonate that you know th there's no keener revelation of a society's soul and the way in which it treats its children and I think you know having that moral purpose and moreover the moral imperative to act upon it, it, it is at the core of great leadership really. And did your personal experience did that lead you to your career in public service or how did that influence your career choices? No I, uh, I did a degree in uh, zoology which apart from philosophy, right, okay. the most unemployable subject. <laughs> uh, what it did do, however, going to university, apart from telling me that I was of a different social class to everybody else, was it, 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 it trained my mind in a number of intellectual, gave a number of intellectual tools and ways of seeing the world. And I ended up doing a master's degree in environmental resources, which was quite opposite. It was very much looking at the context in which uh, people exist in the environment. And, and that has shaped some of my thinking coming into uh, local government fairly uh, late, really, um, so 15 years uh, into my professional career. But, you know, it, it is, uh, I think, it has always been an element, I suppose, of going from the underdog, if you like, to somebody who achieves, and not from a personal point of view, but championing the underdog, because I've had that experience of, and it was never a negative experience, because it was counted by a loving family with, important family values, which is another key shaper for me. Um, and where those don't exist, what do we do to support children and families and neighbourhoods? And, and that's another uh, key key driver, I think, for why it is uh, I'm still in the job now. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that. It's always interesting for our listeners just to get an idea of where where people have come from, because you are more than just your job title, of course. Um, just to say to, to listeners, you and I have agreed that we're not going to focus on this in this conversation on Doncaster's response to COVID-19, you were kind enough to do a webinar with Mutual Ventures uh, colleagues back in October last year where you discussed that at great length. So if anybody is interested in that, they can find that webinar on the Mutual Ventures website. The first area I'd really like to talk to you about now is about the Sheffield City region. So Doncaster is a part of that. It has a mayor. It has close working relationships between the councils, which are Doncaster along with Rotherham, 
Barnsley and then Sheffield itself. So people hear a lot about Manchester in particular with regards to devolution. But the Sheffield city region has been on its own quieter but very successful journey. Can you describe that journey? Yeah, happy to do that. First of all, I have to correct you because although uh, it was uh, the sub-region formerly known as Sheffield City Region, it's now the South Yorkshire Mayoral Combined Authority, and I'll touch on that. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay because that's what it was, and and I think that's quite significant when we come, uh, you know, and I'm, as a chief executive, I'm a passionate belief that all actions should be socially situated and socially embedded in the place, and a bit about we all have a sense of identity, a sense of origin, and we all feel a sense of belonging. And, and I think, you know, that, that, that is a, a really important theme, uh, not just politically, but for, for people who live in uh, particular areas. And, and when you associate with government at whatever level, uh, it, can, it can appear distant and bureaucratic. So uh, at least uh, labelling it correctly uh, might actually get some attention. Um, yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Interestingly, as you know, I, I became the CEO, uh, a bit of an accidental CEO, really. I never intended to become the CEO, having been the DAS and the DCS. But uh, opportunity uh, usually favours the prepared mind. And um, But then, um, at the same time, um, you know, one of the issues that uh, occurred at the time was that um, you know, we need to get the Devo deal done, to coin a phrase. And I inherited that from my predecessor, Joe Miller, who went off to New Zealand. And actually, um, I wouldn't know what the period before that was, because actually much of my time as a CEO has been characterised by sub-regional working, which is, I think is really important. It's perhaps maybe something about where we are as a nation at the moment, the importance of devolution. And, and I sort of see most things as three realms and a wrapper um, when I'm talking about stuff. The in here bit is the organisation, the over there bit is the partnership within the borough and the out there bit is the people in the place. Uh, the rapper, if you like, is, the, is usually the wider uh, regional and national context. And I've probably spent more time than I would have thought I would have done as a CEO uh, dealing with the rapper or rappers. Um, and certainly over the uh, you know, that period of the last 18 months, and it feels a little bit like a differential engine, you know, the sort of three size gears, if you like. Uh, one of those is the mayoral combined authority. Um, another one is the integrated care system. Uh, and the other one, which has been probably more significant and spinning fastest, is the South Yorkshire Local Resilience Forum during the emergency, which I've been the co-chair of. And, and, and in a way, they sort of pull in energy and participation and contribution, uh, but they also create a few sparks uh, as well. And uh, yeah. South Yorkshire Mayoral Combined Authority, uh, I suppose, is right into play of people and events because I arrived at the same time as uh, Sarah Norman arrived as CEO in Barnsley. Uh, and I think some of those shifts were really quite important. Plus, there's nothing like an imperative to get you to focus, is there? Uh, and yes. the imperative was that we had outstanding business, which was if we were going to shift towards um, the receipt of the gain share, then we had to consult on the deal that had been agreed four years before. Uh, and if you're not careful, the pursuit of what at that time was the one Yorkshire objective, which was a much greater Yorkshire devolution, was too big to bite, I think. Interestingly, um, it, it was, I think, probably the Prime Minister's arrival in the borough on the Friday the 13th, there you go, uh, 2019, when I think he then went on to the um, the Convention of the North and uh, conversations had taken place prior to that around what might be an acceptable uh, one Yorkshire approach and, and the Yorkshire committee came out of that. That then meant that actually 
there was a sufficient sort of space on or platform which everybody could stand, which then provided the right conditions, I think, for a conversation around, well, if that is, if that's the vehicle for the Greater Yorkshire conversation, it's not a formal uh, devolution that we hold to ransom government for, but actually one that we can move towards at the same time as accessing the benefits of the devolution deal. So then, then they put a time frame on us to get it done and, and to get a political consensus uh, locally to do that. And some of that, I think, was interrupted uh, uh, a little bit by COVID. Uh, we completed the uh, consultation uh, during uh, the, back, uh, the early part of COVID. Um, but, you know, there was that right interplay of events. Uh, and also we, we found a rough enough consensus, both politically, but also organisationally, because obviously the executive of the mayoral combined authority uh, you know, needed to get the thing done. The other challenge, and we did, sorry, we got the consultation done and the, uh, the order was agreed in June of 2020, which meant that we could then access the gain share. Just for people listening, gain, by gain share, you mean? Yes, I should have. Yeah, the gain share is the government's sort of contribution on an annual basis, which is 30 million for 30 years. That's 900 million over 30 years. It's not a small amount of money. Which is quite an incentive, yeah. It absolutely is, although relatively speaking, any one year, additionally, 30 million, as you know, isn't great, but it's enough. Uh, I'll come back to that maybe in terms of what you might do to feed the political ambition of getting yeah. things quicker. So, you know, that was um, that was a really important thing to get to. And uh, uh, but then the other challenge was going back to what's in the name uh, was the uh, constitution and composition of the uh, city region, which because we had constituents and non-constituent partners uh, in uh, North Derbyshire and North Notts, uh, because it, the, the rationale behind it, of course, was the economic uh, economic agglomeration around the geography. Uh, and it wasn't solely the local authorities in South Yorkshire. So there was also uh, the alignment, if you remember, of LEPs uh, enabled us to create, uh, I suppose, without wanting to appear like a two-tier authority, but in effect, you know, the South Yorkshire authorities made up the mayoral combined authority, and uh, we still meet with our non-constituent partners. But that's, uh, I suppose, another... Uh, organising principle was the it provided greater coterminosity with with South Yorkshire and going back to my point about identity uh, yeah. politically that was a bit more um, I think uh, acceptable as well but well, the other thing that emerges from that is the relationship between the players that you know you wanted you wanted to shift away from what felt like a loose partnership and you know those old definitions of partnership Andrew don't you, you know uh, there's a couple of them which is the suppression of mutual loathing in the pursuit of funding, which of course morally we don't subscribe to, or a communion of moral personal intent to make a difference, and that's where we'd like to be. And another definition, which yeah, I think Steve Mumby shared with me originally, partnership's a little bit like a gravelly road. You sort of know the direction you're going in, but it's rough underfoot. Um, yes. and, and, and that rough underfoot, I think, disguises that there's a lot of work goes on, the crafty gossip, uh, the alignment, uh, the sort of deal making. Uh, in and around to, to position people into that uh, that that ground that everybody can stand on, uh, with, with, you know, with a degree of commitment that is going to uh, create create enough shift to get you to implement what it is that's necessary. Yeah, a couple of observations from me. I mean, it seems that 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 your region has been very successful quietly getting on with this and getting it done. Whereas if you look at other areas in England at the minute, 
there's almost a public battle between competing visions for what devolution looks like and um just what what were some of the key elements as to how you you and your colleagues in the other councils and in the in the combined authority what were the key elements as to how you managed to actually get it done in in, a, in an overall space where not that many areas have actually got it done well good point i think it was a bit about shifting from um, that system to federal approach, if you like, which is we don't exist just so we can have an equal divvy of whatever the share of the pot is. And, you know, and for that, you, you need to flip sort of strategy following money from money following strategy. And, and I think a key driver internally for us was the creation of the strategic economic plan. It was a major milestone, I think, and a recognition that uh, we were a place of faces uh, with an overarching shared narrative, whilst at the same time respecting the discreteness and the subsidiarity of what's best done in the place. Um, and, 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 and equally, those things that we can't do without agglomerating that to the whole of South Yorkshire. And, and a good example of that is recognising that across the whole of South Yorkshire, there was a need to look at age innovation investment hubs, of which we were in Doncaster. And, and in a way, um, you know, you have to defer some of your benefit because you recognise that the wider uh, whole is going to is going to benefit, uh, and and sometimes that means deferring uh, that. And but it's interesting because I think um, doing it under the cover of COVID uh, was actually quite helpful uh, because that was the backdrop to uh, hang on a second. If you're not careful and you're a member of the public looking in on this, it, it looks like a private affair unless you get on with business. And sometimes the machinery of government can look like it's overly bureaucratic and it's not relevant. So. Um, I think probably, though, that the most interesting experience was when uh, we got to um, autumn last year and the government decided to shift not to um, national restrictions, but to uh, tiered restrictions across regions. And um, I mean, I think it was the wrong strategy and it's not the, you know, um, it's no way to run uh, government in terms of the integrity and Tightness of partnership that we need with government, but but actually did actually focus our minds as a uh, an MCA uh, to look at how we're going to pull together, uh, and we did do it differently to Liverpool and Greater Manchester, I think, and uh, uh, some of that is down to Dulles under fire and um, Dan Jarvis, and actually I think his background in the military probably helped. It's quite steely and determined, but he did it with no fanfare, I think, and you know there's a quite an effective way of doing things. Sometimes you need to shout and you need to take a stand and make a position. Um, but you know, I thought that was a really that that pulled the political consensus uh, very quickly together. I mean, I have to say, some of the engagements with Number Ten were quite entertaining or bizarre at times. But although always, I think you know, respectful and professional, mindful that there were bigger risks at stake here and bigger impact in terms of the people. Uh, who were suffering uh, from COVID or indeed were dying as we were talking. And, and I think that, you know, that moral imperative trumps everything. So, um, you know, we, we are now actually reaping some of the benefits of some of the resources that arrived out of that because it did come with a degree more flexibility about how we're going to deploy them. And certainly one of those was the way in which we look to provide support to businesses and economic grant. And we split that not just to supporting businesses that have been impacted and weren't operating, but also uh, those that were we wanted to assist in terms of uh, stimulus and restart. Uh, and, and, and we, you know, we've still got some of that resource. Uh, and that got us to 
work within the parameters of the government, but also at the same time looking at what's locally necessary for us to do. No, I think it's very interesting there that the distinction you're drawing out between having the discussion stroke in some places argument between areas and central government publicly and actually just focusing on getting the job done and the outcome that you want in a in in a kind of away from the public spotlight forum, which I think is is really interesting. Um, is is there anything you want to say about scale of your devolution deal? Because obviously it could have been a bigger area. But it's not. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, well, I, I think it's certainly a good thing when it comes to trying to gain a rough enough consensus when you've only got five parties uh, to do that. And if you look in the, the sort of terms of the deal and the uh, voting rights, there's various arrangements. But actually, that, none of that has been invoked. It's always been through mutual uh, agreement and, and consensus. And, and a really good example of that, uh, you know, before I just make a comment on comparative scale, is uh, going back to the, uh, the game share uh, and also a bit of political um, ambition as well as impatience, is that uh, having got the first year's game share, there was a consensus to recognise that we're going to make a difference in a relatively short period of time across the NTA. Then we needed to come up with an investment strategy that wasn't just dependent upon the vicissitudes of government initiatives, which are a little bit scattered at the moment, short term, and bend your, coming back to my earlier point, bend your strategy out of shape. To, to, to gain the funding. Um, so using the gain share as a down payment uh, over the next five years for a £360 million investment pot means that you've got greater agency over your own development. And, and I think in trying to do that with uh, 11 or 12 or 30 odd authorities as part of a combined authority, uh, you'd probably spend two years doing that. That makes a lot of sense. And I think other areas thinking about devolution really need to consider that as, uh, as well. Um, so Doncaster is part of the Sheffield and, and Bassett Law Integrated Care System. I hope I've got that name right. I think I have. Um, this this is obviously uh, the four city region councils, but plus Bassett Law as well. Wouldn't it have been easier if the ICS had been coterminous with the region in terms of local government voice and ease of administration? I mean, I guess my question is how important is coterminosity in this regard? Well, I might appear contradictory because I've just made the case of coterminosity with regards to South Yorkshire um, because actually it's an identifiable geography. Uh, it has some history uh, and therefore it's recognisable. I, I think other geo-administrative uh, you know, areas, uh, certainly in the health sector, have got far less resonance to the population. They are much more around organisation. Some of that is down to the flows of the population to particular services. So I'm going to argue the other way a little bit, which is I think that's what determines, based on where the services are and where the population go to them, probably the administrative uh, sort of boundaries. But of course it creates uh, um, overlaps uh, and that can, in other areas, when you try to integrate uh, cross-policy more of a challenge. And uh, I mean, the first thing I'd say is that we've sort of travelled quite well uh, as a South Yorkshire and Bassett Law ICS. There's been a few moments. Um, but there's a time in this, this question which I'm beginning to think whether or not you've got an inside line on it, Andrew, because uh, you know, if you are uh, in Nottinghamshire, undoubtedly you will be arguing for the, the retention of Bassett Law within the new ICS. And of course, the white paper now bill going through Parliament is going to be making some of those, or ahead of that, that is going to be making some of those decisions. And, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear very shortly 
Uh, and I suspect it's probably the power of politics over persuasion that's likely to determine the outcome of that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I don't think necessarily pro-terminosity is a determinist when it comes to health, but I recognise the reality of the politics. There will be some consequences, however, that will impact on the design of the uh, ICS in South York. So how, how do you find working with NHS partners? Have you found that local government is treated as an equal in this process? Yes, I would say we are. I mean, I think historically and nationally, people might feel that local governments are sort of second best. But some of that is because it's a national health service that gets national prominence, whereas the sector as a whole, I don't think, necessarily gets the same profile, but has certainly risen its raising profile during the uh, COVID pandemic. Um, and, you know, there's a, I think there's a, there's a sense that's shifting and certainly I mentioned the, um, the sort of interlocking gears. Um, we've worked very closely with the current chief executive of the ICS in South York and Battle. We've met fortnightly as a group of CEOs and that built relationships. It's also as a result of that when the machinery of developing the proposals for the white paper came along meant that we've got a seat at the table. So myself and Sharon Kemp. Uh, CEO for Rotherham are on the, the uh, developmental steering group and I sit on the sub group which is looking at the design of, uh, uh, of the ICS. So, uh, and, and that has given us access to colleagues, uh, particularly when we're looking at the aims of the ICS and, and in particular injecting a fourth aim over the clue that were identified on health inequalities and also recognising what the characteristics and the, the centre of gravity ought to be in terms of what sits in the place and what sits at the region. I think that's been a really productive professional dialogue. Ask me, will that transform the relationship? I, I think, you know, uh, the NHS has survived because it's got a resilience, and some of that is down to its adherence to structure and administrative uh, function. So I was going to ask about relationships there. Would you say that you're spending more time now with NHS colleagues than you have in the past? Because that's obviously the foundation of any reform is actually the relationship between key individuals? I mean, I say almost daily, um, both through the, uh, the pandemic, obviously, because they sit on our local tactical coordinating group. But weekly, uh, we've all, in our local place plan, we've had five years of continuing development to look at what we do within uh, the wider health system within the borough. And that has been incredibly productive with our local clinical commissioning group, but also our wider uh, sort of NHS partners uh, in terms of the NHS trusts and the providers. But also, it, since Christmas, as I say, virtually every week I've been engaged at an ICS level, myself or one of the CEO from South Yorkshire. So, uh, and you know that bit about conversation is the currency of change. The more you talk, uh, the more you understand each other's positions, but, yeah. but also you understand the constraints. I think that regard around how difficult the operating or strategic environment is for your colleagues means that you're better able to support each other. And, and I think we've got a far greater uh, traction as a result of that. You mentioned health inequalities there. There was obviously the report from Michael Marmot, which came out, which was focused on Greater Manchester, but more broadly applicable. Do you do you see that as a really good template, a really good framework for everywhere? Uh, absolutely do. And I mean, the real one of the risks, I think, with the focusing on the ICS structure is that uh, you, you can talk about health inequalities but actually, if you're not careful, the bulk of the resources go to secondary care. And the desire to create a focus around wider population health management and in particular 
a preventative agenda. If you're not careful, it ends up as rhetoric and the resources don't re reflect that. So, uh, you know, that continues to be a risk. And, and if we look at the impacts of COVID, it's deepened and widened the health inequalities and other inequalities of economic well-being as well. So a big challenge for us moving forward. One of the reasons why the key focus is around uh, shifting to a new local model. And uh, that's one of the paradigm shifts that we've done locally. I'm still on a journey with that. But we've also taken our local health partners with us. But the tension in the system is that national, administrative, you know, sub-regional, large acute trust uh, demand. And also, you can think about the backlog of, sort of treatments and surgery, which are going to consume enormous amounts of resources. And they'll be about dealing with ill health not about the preventative agenda. So that is going to be a major um, battlefield, I think, over the next yeah. five years. Yeah. So we've talked about the ICS. We've talked about the region. Let's focus on Doncaster now. Doncaster has a new corporate plan, which was published earlier this year, and that at least partly is in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. So the plan is really comprehensive. I've had a read through it. I think it's, it's, it's really impressive. It covers six key goals, including making Doncaster cleaner and greener, prosperous and connected, safe and resilient, healthy and compassionate, skilled and creative and fair and inclusive. So if you were to pick out a couple of areas or initiatives within the plan, which the audience listening to this would find particularly interesting and innovative, what would they be? So the, the two areas I'd focus on are underpinning strategies that help deliver uh, the corporate plan, which will be uh, identified as part of the mayoral borough strategy in September. Of course, the mayor was re-elected uh, in May for a third term and has to produce a borough strategy. And our corporate plan has that well-being wheel at the heart of it, and so will the borough strategy. So underpinning those uh, those sort of objectives around... And just, just to be clear, you're talking about the Doncaster mayor rather than the region mayor? Uh, Ros Jones is our uh, directly elected mayor, and, and that's one of the characteristics that distinguishes Doncaster from its peer authorities in South Yorkshire. It creates a very slightly different requirement in terms of producing this borough strategy within uh, literally a couple of months. And, and what we've been doing is, to be honest, preparing the ground for that, and the corporate plan has the, uh, the well-being wheel at the heart of it. And, and certainly what uh, we've got is a a device there that looks at greener and cleaner, for instance, and skilled and creative, and both of those have underpinning strategies. I'll start with the greener and cleaner, if that's okay. So the mayor declared a climate change and biodiversity crisis and emergency in September uh, 2019. Critical that it's a twin crisis, not just climate change. Uh, so a, lo a lot of councils across the country, most councils have declared a climate change emergency, but the biodiversity thing. Can you just say a bit more about that? Well, in terms of we're seeing a massive loss of species diversity. Uh, a really good example of that, for instance, is the reduction in pollinators uh, and bees, uh, It's pretty vital to the agricultural industry, uh, never mind gardening, um, if you look at it at that level. But more fundamentally, we're seeing a reduction in other species as well. That therefore affects the overall regenerative nature of our habitats out there. And we are the biggest metropolitan borough by area and we've got a lot of green and blue assets. So, and also if you look, for instance, uh, we've got a load of deficits as well. So one of the challenges really was how are we going to uh, 
follow that up in terms of great coming out with an emergency statement and getting people to declare their commitment to it, but actually you've got to actually garner support. So uh, we've put together the Climate Change and Biodiversity Commission. Uh, it met over a year. It was chaired by Ed Miliband, who was the previous, uh, uh, I think the last Secretary of State with the title of Climate Change in their, uh, in, in, in their brief. Uh, and it reported in, again, conducting that during COVID was interesting. It, it uh, reported in December uh, uh, 2020. Uh, and our response to that was to come up with an uh, environment and sustainability strategy uh, that um, has 110 actions in it. And as with the borough strategy, will be over a 10 year period. And key amongst those was uh, zero carbon by 2040. Uh, and, and an expectation that 85% of those reductions would be occurring within that 10 year period. Um, so that's the uh, sort of climate change. Just on the climate change, can you give a couple of examples of initiatives that bring it to life? Well, uh, I mean, one of the key initiatives in the, uh, we split it in, in, into eight domains, but I'll just pick a couple of those, the built environment and natural environment, maybe. And in the built environment, obviously, we've got a big push in terms of looking at uh, zero carbon emission buildings, for instance. So we've got um, a, a sort of £100 million council health building programme, and the specification of those council houses is to be as near uh, uh, zero emissions as possible. We want the best Got quality uh, social housing, uh, which is not what was always typified historically the building condition. So that's a really quite ambitious, within five years, uh, so that's over 500 houses on top of the 500 that we've built in the last uh, five years, but also to increase uh, the uptake of electric vehicles and encouraging and uh, incentivise that. Uh, we're shifting all of our fleets to electric vehicles. We've, uh, in fact, all of our um, uh, street scene uh, vehicles are moving in that direction. All of our pool cars have been replaced uh, with uh, electric vehicles sure. and also electric charging points as well. Natural environmental side, we're also keen uh, the mayor made a pledge of planting a million trees within five years. Uh, not necessarily the council planting that, but to encourage the whole place, businesses, communities and residents. Uh, and that's, although that's more of an emblematic intent, uh, actually what it also has is a desire to, to make some uh, landscape scale changes. So the concept of green gateways, green hearts to our uh, urban areas, but also some uh, looking at some of the big assets that we've got, such as the National Nature Reserve uh, at the Humberhead level, which is Hatfield uh, and Thorn uh, Moors, and, and, and looking to restore that. It also was a subject of a fire last year, so it, you know, it's actually contributing more CO2 than it's actually sequestering. Right. That's very interesting. I appreciate those really practical examples. So you were going to touch on another area of the yeah. uh, the corporate plan. The other area that I think uh, we've been building over the last five years, really, is education and skills. And we've just published an education and skills uh, strategy. And within that, we've got something called the talent and innovation ecosystem. Uh, and it's the, the strategy's got five aims. Uh, and uh, and it's already uh, gathering great traction. The first point to make out is that it's not uh, an institutional school-based uh, strategy. It's a cradle-to-career strategy. It's about releasing the potential and ensuring that we train the whole of the population. And, and you know, there are elements in there 
that look at, for instance, the way in which we link in with businesses and in particular the growth areas and sectors that are emerging. So we've got a, a sort of four centres of excellence that we are focusing in on. Uh, the uh, health and medical sector, the uh, advanced manufacturing and engineering sector, uh, and also more emergent sectors like green technology and enterprise and the digital and the creative. And what we want to be able to do is create dedicated pathways into those in a compact arrangement with businesses. And we want to look at the credentialing of that in a way that uh, releases and removes some of the barriers for access, for all age uh, access to those those reskilling uh, opportunities. And, and that means uh, looking at things like sort of badging, shorter uh, sort of uh, modular based courses involving other training providers, not just institutions. And having a Doncaster curriculum that is relevant so that we don't get the exodus of young people or other uh, ages uh, and we don't end up with a massive cliff edge of people who are seeking uh, retraining uh, in the mid-career. Mid and, and that's one of the challenges of provincial towns. And indeed, it's one of the characteristics of a low-skill, low-productivity area like South Yorkshire that, that our uh, strategic economic plan is also trying to address. So uh, we've really built a phenomenal level of collaborative leadership across the whole of the sector behind this. And we're also getting some um, global uh, recognition and, and some profile. Uh, we hosted a, a Global Education Leaders Partnership Conference in May, uh, where we had a number of jurisdictions actually critiquing and reflecting back and advising on where we were uh, in our journey. And, and one of the key activities for me that has been really encouraging through COVID is the way in which particularly uh, school leaders have aligned themselves across the borough and started to self-organise better than they might have done without COVID and are leaning heavily into and in fact leading this education and skills strategy. And I think if, if anybody's interested in more detail, the corporate plan is available on the Doncaster website and I think if you're listening to this podcast you probably are interested in that sort of thing so I would recommend having a read of it. Um, so in many ways writing and agreeing the plan is the easy bit although I know from experience it's not easy in a democratic environment with many stakeholders but now that the plan is agreed successfully implementing strategic plans is always a challenge um, as councils are under increasing financial pressure, budgets are being squeezed, demand for statutory services, which for people listening are services which must be, be delivered, there that's always increasing. How are you going to make sure that this plan is actually delivered? It's a, it's a very good point because, of course, ambition always exceeds capacity and resources, and the timeframes are quite pressing, even over a mayoral term. So uh, the first thing we've got to do is to look at where the capacity of the organisation is and whether it's fit for that future purpose. And whilst we've been incredibly adaptive and resourceful during COVID, we've done that probably in, in an organisational form and shape. That's not ideal for the future. Um, so And there are a number of national shifts, and I've talked about the shift away from what might be the civic or municipal sort of uh, function to more of a community focus and particularly focusing in on localities and we're not organized in that way at the moment so we are looking at um, if we want a regenerative place out there in the borough we need to be a regenerative council in here um, so you know we're looking at ways in which uh, we can arrange and organize ourselves differently 
to meet that challenge and deliver on the corporate plan, not just ourselves, but also how we work with Team Doncaster, which is our strategic uh, partnership. And and what we've done is we're sort of coming up as an organisation with five shifts um, that we've got to make, which will affect our organisational redesign. And, and, and the first shift, which won't be in for another colleagues, is uh, local solutions for people, places and the planet. And the mission in the corporate plan is uh, driving people, places and planet. But that local solutions, getting closest to where the problems can be understood and responded to and solved, uh, is that see, solve and seal approach. Uh, and to do that with uh, communities uh, and indeed uh, allowing communities to do it themselves, so taking an asset-based community development approach, absolutely clear. We don't have the mindset always, we don't have necessarily the organisation to fulfil that. Uh, so that's the first shift. The second shift is recognising that actually a key role of our elected members is as community leaders and community activists uh, and community agents. And uh, so we're looking at them as being part of that local solutions uh, for people uh, and place. And we're plugging them in. Uh, and that means looking at some of the leadership and governance across the, or across the, the place. We currently don't have a governance structure below the cabinet at a place level. So um, we've been actively working on locality uh, governance and locality uh, plans. And the third shift, which we've been the, uh, it's been a revelation. We've been on a journey, but it particularly sharpened our security and our ability uh, during COVID is to be an intelligence-led organisation. Um, you know, joining up the data, mining the data, but also uh, ensuring that we've got the right technology in the right place to innovate service delivery. Um, and that the whole organisation uh, knows that we can uh, see that intelligence as the key asset. A good example from the, uh, the webinar that we referenced was within three weeks we put together dashboards that emulated uh, the pattern of a uh, public health model of susceptible infected uh, uh, and those that were uh, either uh, suffering from uh, COVID or, or, or sadly died. And, and, and that used that that then translated into a flow model with the dashboard that then drove the, the, the sort of rhythm, if you like, of the response to COVID uh, and the speed with which we've been able to do some of these innovations. So one of the things we're looking at is creating a digital innovation lab uh, at the heart of the organisation. Uh, and that enabling core function at the centre is going to be expanded so we get more cross-council working. And that's really important. And that links into the fourth shift, which is reducing overhead Costs, but also improving operational uh, delivery and decision making. We, we can be good at creating more decisions at more levels than just creating the potential for, uh, and we've seen this through some of the digital uh, interface that we've had through COVID. We've, we've been swifter, we've been more productive, and we've been more effective. And then the final shift, again, uh, a reflection through lots of consultation. We've done lots of consultation with. Um, our residents and our citizens through Doncaster Talks, about five of those over the period, but we've also done it with our staff similar number of times across COVID. And we're fairly clear that we'll be moving to a hybrid working uh, arrangement. Uh, we're starting to do that now as we come out of the restrictions. Um, we'll be more explicit about the staff behaviours, but also about the flexible and agile working. Um, but yeah, so those are the uh, five shifts. Doing that whilst at the same time managing the here and now, of course, and fighting yeah. back uh, is the triple challenge that's always been there for any organisation, but particularly for local authorities during time. 
Yeah, really fascinating, actually. Those are five really important areas. The bit which really jumps out at me, and this is, I'm seeing this uh, across the country a bit as well, but I, you've expressed it very clearly there, is accepting and getting the public to accept and getting members to accept that the council can't do everything. It has to become a convener, a coordinator, not always the ultimate doer of something, which I think is is really important. And uh, the the other thing you mentioned there, Team Doncaster. Just could you just who, who Team Doncaster is? Yeah, so Team Doncaster is our the borough strategic partnership, uh, and it's chaired by the mayor. We have a meeting. We have. Uh, We've shifted it to be a gold command during COVID, yeah. um, but it existed pr- prior to that as a, uh, as the sort of uh, top level strategic uh, mix of all of the uh, public, private uh, and voluntary sector uh, organisations, as well as citizen representation. And um, part of the borough strategy in, uh, is that shifting away from partnership to agency. So the other way in which we are, the other shift, if you like, is the way in which we maybe lead, convene, but at the same time engage uh, and enable the wider partnership to be more effective. And for that, you've got to look at delivery mechanisms that are more than just touching the borough strategy and saying we're dealing with it in our own institutional strategy. You need a a spectrum of chewiness from discrete through to integrated. And that manifests itself at local level as well in terms of what can we do? A good example of that is our integrated town centre management team. Uh, which cuts across uh, operational staff from all of those uh, partners, uh, including business engagement, for instance, if we're looking at complex live clients who uh, really uh, can cause challenges within the both reputation, but also physically in terms of their presence uh, when we are trying to deal with them as vulnerable clients. And certainly as somebody who goes out regularly and speaks to these uh, individuals, you know, I hit both staff uh, in uh, in businesses, but also in the agencies that are part of this integrated team. Uh, that is really what's really important. And that is an important leadership skill, I think, to be able to zoom in and do now. So, Damien, as a final question, what bit of advice would you give to someone working in the public sector or in a charity or a social enterprise who wants to make an impact in the way that you have? Uh, well, actually, I, th- I think it's your point about the council can't do everything. It's got to ensure that things are done and, and best way to do that, I think, is to become a gardener. Um, and I say that in that a well-tended and healthy garden for a flourishing domain. And, you know, you know it's interdependent in, in many ways, but the flourishing garden can also bring forth thriving plants. And in the same way, I think the thriving plants can bring forth the overall uh, flourishing garden. And, and uh, you know, my piece of advice, I think, would be that system thinking and action descriptor uh, you know, heavily influenced by the work of Janella Meadows and her great book, Thinking in Systems. And she talks about dancing with systems. And, and I use these really as touchstones for how you make sense of and navigate through volatile and certainly complex and ambiguous times. And, and you know, you've got to get the dance. First thing is you've got to get the beat right uh, and get in tune with the beat. You've got to listen to the wisdom of the system. And that's a bit about talking and listening and having those conversations. But you've also, and I think this is important uh, for those of us who think we know everything, you've got to expose your mental model to open air uh, and get the feedback. Um, and the elected members are quite thrust in telling you quickly, as are members of the public, around how relevant these things are. You've got to stay humble and be a learner, but you've also got to honour and protect information, coming back to the early point around 
importance of uh, intelligence-led organisation. And it can't be in everybody, nobody, somebody. You've got to be able to identify and locate the responsibility in the system. Um, and um, it's a lonely place if you put yourself at the peak of the hierarchy. It's important to have feedback policies about how you get feedback, I think. And also to pay attention to what's important, not what's quantifiable. And come back to our colleagues in the city region and that it's about what's good for the whole. Um, yeah. And the other bit for me, and it's been a really important tool, is looking at horizons, both time horizons and thought horizons and developmental horizons. And because you've got to, you've got to manage the future, uh, it's that anticipation of the future, but now and, 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 and more importantly, um, you've got to expand the boundary of caring and hold fast to the, the goal of goodness. Uh, yeah. And that's back to the compassion and the care, and also the absolute belief in the significance of the people in the place. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I think you're certainly one of the, the most advanced system thinkers that we come across in the sector. And I think we all need to watch very carefully what's going to emerge over the years and, well, months and years with the city region and also the integrated care system in in and around Doncaster. So, Damien, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure, thank you. I really enjoyed that conversation with Damien. I learned a lot about devolution and how deals actually get done. And I think there was a really interesting point there about getting on with it quietly rather than making a public scene of it. And I think um, if an area can get its ducks in a row, essentially, behind the scenes and have that negotiation with government, certainly based on this example, it seems to be a better way to go about it because there are other areas where there are very public competing visions, perhaps one from the districts, one from the county council. And I, I can't imagine that puts the area in a very strong position. There was a very interesting discussion as well around coterminosity, um, particularly in this case, thinking about the mayoral combined authority and the integrated care system and the fact that they aren't on exactly, or at least at the minute, they aren't on exactly the same footprint. And Damien discussed this, and I think what became clear is that there is a lot of nuance around this and, and a lot of craft involved about getting the right footprint for the right set of services. And finally, I think one of the key themes of this whole discussion was around systems thinking. And Damien described it as the need to dance with the system, to feel the beat of the system, particularly when you're navigating uncertainty. And I thought that was a wonderful way of describing it because the world is very uncertain. And if you're looking for absolutes right now, then you're probably going to be disappointed. So feel the music, feel the beat and take it from there. So that's everything for this week and thank you very much for your time and don't forget to register on the website or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter to make sure you never miss a future episode.